They came down and toured it. All the executive teams did. And they said, "Okay, move forward. Well, part of the stipulation is, is that we had to buy it and close by the year end because that was the seller's expectation. So we had August through December, new guy having to acquire an old bank site in a little town called Seabrook down south that had to go through and get a zoning change, an SUP approval, and work through new CST processes. Everybody's like, you can't do it. You can't do it. Welcome to XN State. Where's the greatest opportunity in real estate today? That's what I need to know. We'll hear from industry leaders with boots in the ground and skin in the game. Who's winning? How are they winning? Stick around and we'll find out right here on XN State. Hello and welcome back to XN State. This is your host, JCQ. Today we host top real estate broker in Houston, Cody Kristoff. Cody joined the Houston office of Colliers International in 2006 as an associate in the company's industrial and land services group. After seven years in the brokerage business, Cody decided to transition into the development side by joining Corner Store Brands, where he was in charge of site selection and development for the Houston and Louisiana markets. During his time at CST, Cody was involved in 25 property transactions. After nearly five years at CST, Cody rejoined Colliers as a senior associate. Today, his primary area of expertise is land sales and acquisitions, with a secondary focus on retail and industrial sales and leasing. In our interview, we discuss stories and lessons learned from Cody's experience at CST. What due diligence items pose a bigger red flag than others? Cody's favorite type of property to buy? And how to look for opportunities in a post-COVID environment. I've had the opportunity and pleasure of working with Cody on several real estate transactions. I have certainly learned a lot from him, and I hope that by listening to this interview, you are able to gain some valuable insights from him as well. Without further ado, here's today's guest, Cody Kristoff. Cody, welcome to XN State. It's a pleasure to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for the invitation and look forward to connecting up. I'm excited. I'm excited. Let's get Right into it, we have a lot to talk about, a lot to discuss. We, you and I have worked closely for a few years now. You have helped us on quite a bit of deals. Not all of them have materialized, but it certainly has been a great relationship personally and also for, certainly has been good for business as well. I agree with that. It's been, uh, I just reflect on the time that your dad and I met years ago over there on Gosling Road and then uh, got to meet you and your brother over the years as well. So it's been a joy on my side. It has been a joy on our side as well, certainly. Can we begin, Cody, by giving our audience a little bit of context on your background and experience in real estate, a little bit about who you are? Sure, sure. My name is Cody Kristoff. I'm with uh, Colliers International. We're a full-service brokerage firm here in the Houston area. We have about 400 locations uh, nationwide in about 67 countries. And uh, I focus on land and uh, how I got and started into the business was back in 2006, seven timeframe, some gentlemen that uh, have become good, dear friends of mine were looking for a junior associate to help them basically do some grunt work. And they had called me and after a lot of time and talking with them and praying about it, felt as though that... uh, that was a good little good opportunity for me at the stage of life that I was in. And uh, we officially kicked off uh, real estate uh, 2007, so about 13 years ago. 
Excellent. Excellent. So you got your first real estate experience was with Collier's. It was, yes. I was joined uh, three gentlemen, most of them working on the land side and one of them working on the industrial side. So had a good mix of learning about land as well as industrial leasing. Although my uh, career path since then is led more towards the land side of things. But um, if it wasn't for those three guys approaching me back in 2007, no telling where I would be, but I'm very grateful and thankful for them. They're still a part of Collier's today. So they uh, got me kicked off in Houston real estate. And so you, you mentioned you, you focus on land in particular. What markets do you focus in? I primarily focus on just raw land for retail development primarily, as well as some office, done a little bit of residential. The beauty about land is, is that everywhere there's a product, it starts with land. Of course. Very versatile. And in terms of markets that you're in, are you, you're in Houston? Are you in any other markets? Oh, I primarily focus in the Houston and surrounding MSA. So we've done stuff in Conroe, Pasadena, Pearland, Sugarland. Um, just in the Houston MSA is where we where I primarily focus. Okay. And so you mentioned you, you got, you joined Collier's about 13 years ago. What was your journey like between when you first started at Collier's and when you first started making your, your own deals? Yeah. So when I worked with those, the three gentlemen that got me involved in real estate, one of the big caveats to me joining them was I had to go back to schools because I was at a point in time that I'd graduated high school, did a little bit of college, and then kind of was lost my way a little bit on the, the which where I was heading. So I was very thankful that they made that caveat. So I started literally uh, working for them during the day and then going to night school at U of H. And so, you know, leaving the house at six o'clock in the morning, getting home at about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night was my Monday through Friday for wow. several year period. But if it wasn't for that, it wouldn't be who I was today. So uh, that was the initial start of the real estate side. And a lot of what I did originally was just help them out on their deals. I was fortunate that they were kind enough to open up their book of business to me during that time. They were busy enough to need the help and the support. I had the fresh legs and the desire to make that happen. But then when we transitioned over a couple of years, that it can only last for so long where you then had to start making your own deals and doing deals, et cetera. So. It's always challenging to, when you start as a broker, right? Because you have to, it takes a while to build those relationships and build that track record to where a client can trust you, that you can get the work done and can see that you've already done the things that are necessary to close a deal, right? Absolutely. Part of what we do in terms of becoming an expert is doing actual deals. So if you don't have deals to actually show that you've given the folks the confidence to do, then you know, the likelihood of you getting the work is pretty small. So the way that, that Collier's helped me and helped uh, me through the process was lining me up with some senior brokers that helped where I could then use them as a platform of here's what I've worked on. So you joined Collier's about 13 years ago. And then what did you do after that, after your, your stint in Collier's? So I worked for Collier's for about five years and I had the opportunity to work for a group called CST Brands Valero. And the way that that worked out is, is I was helping Valero at the time acquire 
a couple of sites in and okay. around the Houston and the Woodlands area. And as, as a broker through as, Colliers. As a broker through Colliers, I was helping them acquire sites for future gas stations. And during that time, I got to know the real estate manager pretty well after doing several deals with him. And he approached me a couple of years later, so probably about five years into Colliers, he approached me about coming to work directly for a new company called CST Brands, which was the retail arm of Valero. So Valero sold off their gas station portfolio to a group that was called CST Brands. And after several months of talking with CST, the executives and the likes and praying about it with my wife, we realized that, you know, this is a great opportunity to put additional tools in the toolbox to say. So I had the land side down, I had the site search side down, but I didn't really know anything about the vertical development side. And this is what the proposal was to join CST and sort of act as the developer. So I was brought on to do the site selection, but because of the way that they worked, I was also hands-on with working with the development team. So I was still a part of the head of the whole development of the Houston area where I'd coordinate with the project managers, the surveyors, the engineers, the architects, all the above to create a piece of dirt into a multi-million dollar facility. Mm -hmm. I can certainly see why the benefit of adding particular tools to your toolbox. You had been at Colliers for five years and now you, you had the opportunity to experience the real estate transaction side from the other side of the table, right? From being the, the developer and being the one looking for for land to purchase yourself. That's correct. Yeah, I was on the, the side of sourcing deals and doing deals from the brokerage side and then went and put the bro- the developer hat on and people were bringing me opportunities and deals as well as still out sourcing deals myself. So. Mm-hmm. so I'm sure in a lot of ways it was a natural transition because a lot of what you do as a broker is look at land opportunities and study the properties, study the surrounding area. You have to understand the piece of property in order to sell it and to find a potential buyer for it. So you already had a lot of solid background to do the job that you were going to do at CST. So in a lot of ways, I can see how it would be a natural transition. What are some of the ways in which the transition may have been maybe a little bit more challenging for you? Well, to be honest with you, the most challenging side was getting through the corporate side of approvals, honestly, of just working through internal processes. But, uh, you know, because it was, you had been when you're a broker, you're very you're independent. You're doing things on independence you know, and freedom. <laughs> correct. You're doing things on your own and and, you know, with your clients guidance as well and, and lockstep with them. But things happen a whole lot faster because you have one decision maker most of the times versus when you get into a corporation, you have a hierarchy of uh, individuals that uh, you have to get approvals for uh, for them to sign off on a multi-million dollar investment. So. But with that being said, I was blessed and fortunate enough to do 25 transactions and a little over $100 million worth of development during that process. So, How many sites did you acquire while you were in CST? I worked on 25 transactions. 25. Some of them were handed to me before, but I just kind of walked them through the final stages. And then most of them were just sourced from start to finish by me and our team that was working in Houston. And what aspect of the development were you involved in? I probably was a little more involved in all aspects than than most, just because I literally took the job so I can learn the development side. 
And uh, so I worked hand in hand after I found the transaction, literally on all calls with the engineers, all calls with the land planners, all with the project managers to fully understand what it takes to get that property from just a piece of dirt that you cr- cut the grass on to the undergrounds uh, systems for drainage to vertical fire codes, uh, et cetera, and, and also used it as time to go meet folks along the permitting way, such as the fire marshals, the TxDOT folks, uh, just to, again, expand contacts and people I know. So going back to what you look at when evaluating a property, you mentioned some of the, the things that you consider. What would you say is the most important aspect of a property that you look at in order to see whether it's a good property or not? So for the C-Store specific that yeah, we're talking C- about, C-Store specific. Uh, the, the biggest thing is access. And okay. especially when you're dealing with TxDOT in the county of where you're going to be able to get curb That's Because if you don't have access, there's a lot of other gas stations along your route. So you got to be convenient. That's why it's called a convenience store. So access was key. And the other part to that, I would tell you, is drainage and, and utilities, water. Because if you can't drain it, no matter how great a piece of property is, if you can't drain it, then it can't be developed. Mm-hmm. And the properties that you considered, did they need to have access to utilities? Or did you consider alternate sources such as a well and septic on the property? We did both. Obviously, the primary deals that we did would like to be with utilities. But a good site that we felt would be successful, we had a bunch of good sites that were ended up being successful that were on well and septic. Mm-hmm. Because we knew, so part of the process that I went through was understanding what growth patterns were happening in and around these general areas so we could be the first group out there. So we we may have been seeing as, hey, you're going out there green, but by the time you go through permitting, construction, once the site's identified, you're a year to 18 months out. Well, now there's rooftops around there and you're in a position that you bought it right and they've been successful. Okay. So you talked to us a little bit about the challenges that you had while in, in this new position that you were in, but what were some of the challenges directly related to the development that you saw while being at CST? Some of the bigger challenges stem around with the same things that we look for in terms of access, uh, you know, for limited frontage, getting going in and, and talking through and figuring out the access with TxDOT or the county. So that's a big challenge. So some of the challenges also has to do with restrictions. So when we're dealing with restrictions from properties, i.e. deed restrictions or just development restrictions, because we're we're a a user looking for master plan communities, for example, like the Woodlands, Mm -hmm. they have certain architectural review controls that you have to just adhere to in order to be there. So, So some of those were when we as a company have a corporate image that says, hey, this is what we want to build having to deviate from that mm-hmm. and getting all the management approvals was a big challenge. It was a process. It a was an process. extreme process, but we were able to do it. There is not a, the, the blessed thing that I could say is that there was not a deal that we identified that we wanted to be at that I didn't get done. Okay. The aspect that I found interesting about developments of this kind is that they seem to me to be very cookie cutter, very like, very basically replicating the same product again and again, right? With the CST, with the corner stores. Well, in theory, yes, that would be the ideal situation. 
But being in the real estate business, you know, not any two land parcels are the same. So you're dealing with elevation changes. You're dealing with uh, floodplain issues, you know, and and with the gas station industry, you're dealing also with community that may not want you there. So there's different aspects that hurdles along the way that makes each property unique in a way that it's important to surround yourself with a good team of engineers, architects, land planners to overcome these challenges that are out there. How flexible were you able to be as a developer at CST in taking on properties with particular challenges? Did you, were you able to take on different challenges or if a property had certain challenges, did you automatically discard it and look for a property that had more of a clear path towards development? So the easy answer would have been the the latter of that. But the reality is in Houston, when you have no zoning, no restrictions, uh, development is a lot faster paced. So a lot of the corners or a lot of land was already spoken for. So you have to get creative in ways. And to give you a prime example, uh, (laughs) for an example of that, to show how flexible that we were and able to do is I had ended up acquiring, identifying attractive land in Tomball that had to get annexed into Tomball, had to get utilities, had to get oil and surface right waived waived through a gas company, had to acquire a 15-acre tract of land when we only needed two acres, and the sellers didn't want to sell. But outside of that, we got it done. <laughs> okay, you, you answered your, my question <laughs> with, with that answer. So how long did it take you to go through through all those steps, through all those obstacles? On that process? On that, on that, yeah, on on that, that exact property, because of just the, the jurisdiction, getting de-annexed from the city of Houston, annexed into the city of Tomball, and just working through the logistics of utilities and, and the uh, pipeline company to get the surface right waivers removed, that one ended up taking about a year and four months That's for not too us bad. to have under contract and close on the land. So, okay. Did you have the property under contract for that long? We did. We were very fortunate. The owners understood. We didn't have it originally under contract that long, but they worked with us along the way, knowing that we were showing that we were moving in the right direction. And at the end of the day, the seller was going to, who anybody that bought it, the seller was going to have to have that done anyways. So they could either worked with a big organization, a I'm corporate sure that, organization. I'm sure that gave them confidence knowing that they were working with a big organization. Yes. Yes, it did. So, and they were, you know, obviously at the end of it, they were, they were ready for it to be done, but they were thankful that we were persistent and we were able to make it happen. Yeah. You said you did about, or you did 25 years in your, 25 deals in your time there. How many deals were you doing at any single moment? Or how many different developments were you develop, were you managing at the same time? Well, in order to get 25 deals, we were looking at 100 properties in reality, because not every deal you find, you're going to be able to That's, develop. That it. is so, true. So when you ask about development, any time during my time at CST, we were anywhere between six to eight or nine developments at any stage of being under contract. Yeah. You know, I identified as, hey, we're moving forward on these tracks. So anywhere between six to nine transactions. And some of those I also had Louisiana, so I did several deals in Louisiana, which that's a different story there over there. And I did a couple of deals in Corpus Christi as well. So, How does 
Louisiana compare just in an overview to Houston in terms of development and market? Uh, the Louisiana is certainly different. I remember my first ride over there, I was with a broker and uh, I was just saying, man, I just, there's medians everywhere where we were looking. And, and he goes, Louisiana is the land of U-turns. And I tell you what, as soon as he said that, we were literally trailing somebody that busted a U-turn to get back to the gas station that they were on the other side of the road. And But it, it is different over there. The process is pretty easy, but the land tracks, my experience was that they're not as readily available to sell. Uh, but okay. also you have other challenges over there in terms of with floodplain, et cetera. As we do here. As we do, but in the swamps, you have it more. So Okay. You maybe have issues there with wetlands and things Correct. like that, which again can add months, at, at least a couple months to a project if there needs to be some wetland mitigation. Sure. You know, time, uh, we've done, we've had to do wetland mitigation on sites. It just, you know, again, just getting involved and staying on top of it. That's the biggest thing is, is that it's easy to just identify it and then not really follow through on it versus staying consistent on following up with the consultants or the jurisdictions to where's it at, what are we doing, how are we doing it type of thing. So for how long were you at TST in this position? I was with CST for right at five years. We got bought out about the last year of my time. So about four years with CST and then one year with Circle K. So Circle K purchased CST. And then after that, you decided to, you missed the brokerage world, the brokerage aspect. Well, I love real estate after, you know, being in it for 10 years at that point in time and realized that I really learned what I needed to learn. When I went over to CST mm -hmm. and then Circle K. You had that, the objective. Yes. Yeah. I had a five-year plan whenever I, you know, part of that five-year plan yeah. was to, you know, hey, go work for development and then come back to the broker side and then ultimately do development. Come back to the brokerage side with a lot more to offer your clients now that you had seen the development aspect and from a lot of your clients' perspective, right? From the perspective of, of, of a buyer and looking at the, evaluating the, the numbers and understanding all of the implications that purchasing a property has, once you are able to look at it from the other side of the table, you can certainly relate a lot of the property stuff to your client. Yes, definitely. And also just being able to show my clients of, look, we can drive out here and look at this. This is what I did. This is the challenges we had with this site, with this site. And so there's some actual visualization, yeah. not just words to... This is what I've done. Yeah. There's instant yeah. credibility. Mm -hmm. Tangible stuff to back up your words. Yeah. And it also, I'm sure it also gave you more confidence when selling projects because you have sensibilized yourself better to what a good deal is, what a good piece of property is. That, as well as being able to position a property for success. So if you are just a landowner and you have a piece of property that you really don't know what to do with it you know, can help you get to there. And if you've got a price that you want to get to, well, in order to get to that price, we need to engage the engineer mud district to figure out, hey, can we get utilities? You know, you can get that price, but it's going to be with utilities. It's going to be with water, sewer, et cetera. So, you know, being able to offer that as a differentiator to just, uh, hey, I've got a piece of property. Yeah, for sure. 
so how have things been different in the second time you've came back to Colliers? How are things different than the first time? Well, like you said, it takes some time. I mean, just because you got to rebuild your pipeline and your portfolio, reconnect with folks. But it's been a blessing. People were happy. You know, thankfully, the guys that I've been talking to were happy that I was back on this side of the fence. And they enjoy and appreciate the knowledge that I gained from my experience at CST. So I've been blessed over the last, you know, I guess we're going right on two and a half, three years of being back over at call years. And then this wonderful thing called COVID-19 pops up. (laughs) (laughs) And how is that shaking your world, your real estate world? Well, things are certainly different. Real estate in Houston, you know, essentially you just put the economy on hold. I mean, we put the nation on pause and, you know, we've had several deals fall out of contract, which are okay. which certainly expected. We have had several deals get extended and the sellers are amenable to working through that time frame because they understand that a lot of people weren't working. I mean, you just didn't have the ability to work. And, you know, we've been fortunate to, you know, get even a couple of things under contract during COVID-19. So, but in general, it is slowed down immensely and, you know, ramifications of what this does is going to be rather lengthy. It's not, in my opinion, it's not going to, it's not a light switch that's going to turn back on. It's going to be, you know, once we figure out how to operate in the new norm. But the good news is yesterday, Monday, we got the entered into phase two here in Texas. So, you know, we're, we're in. Today is 19th of May. So we're getting so we're, to, uh, kicking off the second phase of the reopening. Yes. We can now get a haircuts. We get haircuts. We can, you know, go places. And, and I will tell you that over the last couple of weeks, I've noticed more and more cars on the road. Mm-hmm, so for sure. that's all good signs, but business isn't going to start up right away. So I think, you know, 2020 is going to be a tough year. I mean, just across the board in real estate. Uh, I know I've talked with a number of retail developers. They're just focusing on how to, how to help their tenants. Uh, retail is probably the most troubled segment, right? Well, you got retail and you also have office because uh, along with old COVID-19, we, we got hit with a negative $40 barrel oil for uh, a day or two. But um, the good news is oil has been stabilized around $25 a barrel the last couple of weeks. So not where we want it to be, but a lot better than the you know sub that we saw there <laughs> for a little bit. So you know, we're kind of in a double issue here of COVID plus the oil. So that also spurs office. So retail and office are the hardest hit and probably will be the hardest hit for a period of time. Do you expect good buy opportunities for land purchase to come online in the, in the next few months? That's a great question. You know, I think that to say that we're going to have buying opportunities in the next couple of months. Yes, I, I got to say there is just because even if we don't see a huge price reduction or if we don't see business picking up, the amount of buyers for an individual track is not going to be as many as it was 90 days ago. So the amount of, you know, obviously economics is if you got four people wanting to track the land, the price is going to go up. Now, is there going to be some folks that have overextended and need to get, you know, cash out of some stuff? I think so. I think there's also going to be some folks. Which so far, we haven't seen a lot of, right? We haven't seen a whole lot of that. Just, again, things have been 
shut down. So not a lot of people are doing things. Banks are focused on all this PPP money. And, you know, some of the guys that I've talked to on investment side that, you know, their their banks are working with them on some some not necessarily, you know, but just abated payments where they'll give them four, six months or something along those lines. Okay. Which has helped them to be able to sustain this time period. Now, what's going to happen long term? Who knows? Yeah. And the reason why I ask is because I've gotten the sense speaking to, I mean, from the people that I talked to in the last few weeks and actually read an article this morning that said the same thing, that there seems to be a lot of capital and a lot of people on the sidelines waiting for deals to arise and for buy opportunities. Just because of what has happened in the economy in the last few weeks, usually you would think that it would lead to distressed sellers having to sell their property for a very attractive price. But I think that, and again, this is from the sense that I've gotten and again, again, from a little bit of research, there seems to be a lot of people on the opposite side with a lot of cash available waiting to jump on these opportunities. So I think that that may, and this is not specific to Houston, this is more US based, but I think that for that reason, there may not be as many opportunities to buy this time around. I, I think I agree with you, but I think it stems with confidence. So when folks are confident, they'll start spending their money. So I think it may have to do more align with people's confidence in investing right now because of the uncertainties of we've never seen a national shutdown of the economy. So I think that's a, a big portion of it. Now, I think where you're going to see some, I just call it deals, which you know, define that is it's going to be on the retail side where you have these new retail centers that have been built and have less credit tenants out there paying premium rents just because everything was going so good literally 90 days ago that you're going to see some folks that just say, look, I'm just going to give this back to the bank because my, I lost my tenants but then who's going to be in position to buy those when there's not going to be many tenants out there? So that's where you find deals. You're right. When there's no, when the sentiment is very negative on the market going forward. But in terms of land, I think right now people are still very excited to be buying land in the U.S. in general. So that's why I think the confidence for purchasing land will still be there at some, I mean, up to some level. I mean... Not that it will be as strong as it was last year, maybe in 2019, but maybe strong enough, whereas we're not going to see very, very attractive opportunities to purchase properties at 50 cents on the dollar or 60 cents on the dollar or things like that. Yeah, I think so. Now, if this prolongs and, and we're talking six months, you know, but we're already seeing the, the curve flattening. We're yeah. seeing, the, the you know, people being out there. I've got a bunch of land listings and don't get a whole lot of calls. But again, a lot of people aren't working, so people aren't driving associated with that. But, you know, unless we have like a six, nine month period, I think that the COVID self stuff is going to work itself out. It's going to be the the oil and gas that's going to prolong Houston, Texas as a whole, if we don't get that moving in the right direction, which, again, we're sitting today at mid-20s, which is good. You know, everything is moving forward in Houston, Texas. Houston, yeah, it's it's incredible how correlated the Houston economy is to the oil price. And then you also have all this conversation about 
you know, relocating manufacturing to closer to the either in the U.S. or closer to the U.S. Well, prime place for that is going to be Mexico. And where's the first big city coming out of Mexico? Houston. Houston, San Antonio. You have two ports, Houston. Houston is the epicenter to get you to Dallas, can get you, you know, from the Golden Triangle to Dallas, to Austin, to San Antonio, all with ease. So that's where a lot of the confidence is, is in Houston, Texas, from some of the national and local economists as well. So uh, just to keep going on that note, what do you love so much about Houston? Yeah. Now that we've got you going on on this subject, I would like to hear from your words why you think Houston is a great place to invest in, in real estate. Well, I think Houston, one, I'm born and raised in Houston, so that's that's uh, first check. But two, you know, back to my CST days, I've seen things happen in Dallas. I've seen things happen in San Antonio, in Austin. And Houston is unique in a way that we don't really have zoning. I mean, other than, you know, the Woodland, Sugarland, some some Pearland, some, some suburbs of Houston, there's no zoning. So development opportunities are vast in Houston. And then there's no real barriers other than Galveston to the but south. Doesn't that also add a little bit of supply risk to the market? The fact that there are no, that zoning regulations are less stringent, there's uh, less barriers to entry for competition. There is certainly less barrier entries, but we're also, people are moving. So the population growth is continuing to happen because of those things and also because of the low cost of living. So when you factor all that in, you know, that's why your Houston MSA area is uh, continuing to thrive. I mean, if you think about it, you live in the woodlands, you can literally go to Willis now. It's all the way up, you know, so you got the woodlands, Conroe, Willis. Development's happening all the way in Willis. Yeah, Houston is growing. I mean, it, it has been growing tremendously. It's been a very strong city and it is going to continue to be. And if oil stabilizes at 60, 65 in a year from now, or even gets close to that, I think that it's going to be fantastic for the Houston economy. It's going to be strong again and and just keep growing because in recent years, the I would say maybe Austin and Dallas have been getting a little bit more attention, but again, because the energy sector hasn't been as strong in the past few years. But if if that changes then the attention is going to fall back again on, on Houston. Yeah, but there's also, if you've studied Dallas and Austin for a while versus Houston, the timelines to get permits in those cities are also much longer. So when you, if you say, hey, I want to build and I need to get up and running because time is, mo you know, days are money, you know, you know, permitting in Austin can take you two, two and a half years before you can even be ready to build. Well, you would... If you're looking at investing into Texas, you know, you can get up and run in nine months in Houston. So you have another two years of, of cash flow opportunities versus some of these other cities. And then also pricing expectation. You know, when we were talking, you know, the deals that I were doing were nowhere near the per square foot that our guys were closing in Dallas, Austin, and even San Antonio for that matter. So the deals were far more attractive, meaning dollars for land here than in those areas, in my experience. What are, Cody, some of the most successful land investments that you've been a part of? In your experience as a broker, what are some of your the success stories behind some of the deals that you've done? 
That's a, a, a great question. Each one has a, you know, has its own little definition of success story. So is it just uh, from a, a monetary standpoint, you know, depending on how you're looking at things, or is it you had a distressed seller that needed to unload a piece of property and then they got rid of it? Uh, so each one has its own little unique story in my mind as to the success factor associated with that. I would tell you probably one of the first deals that I did with CST coming in as a new guy to an organization, which I started in August. So I started this in August. I identified a tract of land. It was an old bank and they came down and toured it. All the executive teams did. And they said, okay, move forward. Well, part of the stipulation is, is that we had to buy it and close by the year end because that was the seller's expectation. So we had August through December, new guy having to acquire an old bank site in a little town called Seabrook down south that had to go through and get a zoning change, an SUP approval, and work through new CST processes. Everybody's like, you can't do it. You can't do it. Well, we closed on that tract of land on December 20th with permits in hand. So Wow. So how long did it take you to get permits in that case? From August to December 20th. So it was wow. August, September, October, November. So right at 130 days or so. And did you submit, was your first submittal in August or in August did you start with design and architecture engineering? September. Yeah, September. We had it under contract in August, got through the submittal, worked concurrently with the city and had to go through multiple meetings with the town hall meetings, et cetera. And but that was a big success a big story because then what that did was within our organization got credibility with them. And so they literally for the next four years, if Cody said he can get it done, okay, mm -hmm. we believe him. <laughs> yeah. So, and from the brokerage size, what would you say is your favorite type of property to buy? I think the favorite property for me to buy is uh, when I just help somebody out. You know, they started with a thousand square foot lease 10 years ago and they've worked up and, you know, renewed that and they're into 5,000 square feet. And then they come to you five, seven, 10 years down the road and, and say, Hey, I want to, I need to buy a piece of property. I'm going to build my dream building. So being a part of that process all along is uh, something I really, truly enjoy. So I'd tell you that's the biggest joy factor or helping the family that uh, owned a tract of land and they've had thousands of memories out there and they were struggling with selling, but know it's the right thing to do with the family. But just walking through that process with them was, uh, is always a pleasure for me. Yeah, for sure. We have already talked about the Houston market, but what opportunities do you see in the current market? What opportunities do you see they can either be related to COVID-19 or unrelated, but what kind of opportunities do you see moving forward in today's market? I think that the first market you're going to you know, look for is the, I think industrial is going to come back strong with just the amount of, you know, distribution facilities that may have to come back into the States and and because also because of the of the strength of e-commerce. Yes, yes. They're also going to, yeah. So more stuff's happening, like you said, on e-commerce, which we've been going down that road. COVID's just expedited that. Yeah. So instead of having, you know, one huge warehouse that you're distributing out of, I think the supply chain is going to now be 
X plus. Now, what that looks like in the future, I don't know. So I think that's going to be more warehouse space and maybe maybe three different warehouses versus one warehouse where they have 500 workers working out of it. They say, wait a second, let me put 100 here, 100 here, 100 here. So that way, if something were to happen in the future, you're able to keep some of it going in terms of from the supply chain side. Mm -hmm. And the industrial market had been declining a little bit in Houston in the past year or so because of the huge amounts of supply. Well, there's been a, a huge amount of supply, but in, industrial developers have been very bullish still on Houston, even over the years, you know, with spec buildings. You see a lot of spec buildings, you know, still being, you know, finalized today, even in the middle of this uh, offer distribution warehouse. So industrial has been pretty strong. We had a little bit of, like you said, the amount of supply happened. So it looked like it inflated the uh, vacancy rates. But I think that that's going to probably be the biggest factor coming out of it and just land for residential. I think that people have realized that maybe suburbs is the way to be in terms of where you have your own land, you know, piece of property as opposed to inside renting, renting apartments where you're on, you know, just where you're in much closer Tighter, proximity denser. to people. Yeah. Density. I th think that, you know, residential is that's been hot for a while and i think will continue to be post covid mm -hmm. and also maybe i mean with hot topic nationally is the perceived housing shortage that we have in the us which a lot of people think will be even more pronounced after this covid situation because the supply may be a little bit more constrained in after these past few months words for Construction may have slowed down, deliveries may have slowed down, so it may pick back up through the end of 2020 and through 2021. So, Cody, I also wanted to get your take on on what you look for in a client as a broker. I want to get your, your cash. <laughs> okay. no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. So no, and project, <laughs> project cash, project wealth. No, I'm just kidding. But in reality, you just want to be. I'm very relational, so I just want to be around good people, you know, people that are high morals, high standards, just do what they say they're going to do. Life's too short. We've all worked for people that, you know, just constantly grind on you and then nobody at the end of the day has fun. But in reality, just just good people that have the means and the ability to do so. And that is financially speaking, but also have the power to get a project from point A to point B. So. All right. Cody, are ready for our fire round? Just a couple of quick questions. Got it. Perfect. What book has had the most profound impact on your life? The Bible. The Bible. Have you read it? Yes. Okay. Because we had a, another guest who mentioned the Bible and I asked him if he had read it and he had read parts of it, but okay. I haven't read it myself, but that's a good answer. What's the single most important skill to have as a commercial broker? Integrity. Integrity. What's a real estate trend that you are paying attention to? Oil prices. <laughs> Oil prices. Okay. What about on the side of, is there anything on the side of consumer behavior on how maybe the tendencies are changing on how people live and any answer along those lines? Well, I'm working, I'm just, you know, as I was saying, I've got a footprint in the retail side, just coming from my history at CST, but just watching and seeing how these restaurants are going to come back and how people are going to 
take to the new social distancing deal. So our livelihood is going to change in the future. There's just no doubt about it. And it's a little bit too early to see, but certainly watching that and seeing, because that affects real estate in terms of how many strip centers you need, which how many tenants you're going to have to fill up those strip centers. So I'm certainly watching the retail side pretty, Mm -hmm. pretty tight. Yeah. Cody, what advice would you have for new investors looking to get into commercial real estate? First of all, I'd say just set yourself up for success and and understand real estate. Take some training classes, fully understand it. Uh, a lot of people get involved in it and don't really understand what it takes in terms of, hey, I am just see all these success stories. So I would tell you that, look, during COVID-19, I'm spending a lot of time just improving myself by taking classes because I want to adapt and come better out of this. What kind of classes are you taking? I'm taking, well, my continued education ones, uh, for sure. But and those uh, are the ones that that, that you're are required ma- to keep your license, right? Mandatory to, to keep our license. And then uh, just sitting in on ICSC classes or just different organizations that are just talking about, you know, changing what's going to hold for the future in terms of how people are going to react post-pandemic. Look, it's going to be all speculation at that point in time, but just still trying to refine myself, my skills during this time and just to be able to differentiate myself. It's not a 60-day vacation. Yeah. So that would be one of the advices you would have for people to definitely get educated. That would be one of the first things. Yes. And then the other thing I would tell you is to, you know, sit down with some goals, you know, short-term and long-term goals. I know when I first joined the real estate business, the guys that helped me in this, they said, I need to know where you see yourself today, where you see yourself in three years, five years. So give me a one, three, five-year plan. So I would encourage anybody that's thinking about that of where do you see yourself so that way you can start navigating and making sure you're putting yourself in success for to get to that long-term goal. And then with that, I would also sit down with some sound experts that you know that have experience, longevity in that, and have them walk and talk you through that. Because this community, the real estate business is very tight and people are willing to help other people out. I mean, that's just the reality of it. So seek of, out that help. Seek out help from from wise, uh, successful individuals, yes. And start building those relationships. Yes. And then what I would do is get involved with community activities, uh, certainly. And then also make sure that your community activities align with where your plan, your business plan is looking at or your one, three, five year goals. Because you don't, you know, you want to make sure you align yourself to position yourself for success. Relationships are key in this business. They really are. And your word is key. That's the other part that I would just say is just just keep your word because people will remember that. Yeah. So and then, in what ways do you or what do you do or what activities do you seek to grow your network? So, you know, I'm involved in some stuff up here in Montgomery County, Commercial Real Estate Association of Montgomery County. I'm in ICSC, which is International Shopping Center. And that's just because I'm focused on retail side. I engage a lot with our church that is in the, the, in the north side. So do some stuff with that. And then also just create little small groups for accountability partners, as well as just to expand your network. So that's some of the things that I do. And, and I'd say one of the other part from a real estate investor to think about is just create a small group of trusted advisors from a broker to an attorney to an engineer. So that way, when you're looking at a piece of property, 
you've got somebody that you trust that can give you a quick little assessment as to what you need to look for during that time. And again, in order to do that, usually done through through relationships, you have to build that relationship first. That's correct. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's some definitely some great advice. Thank you. Well, Cody, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a a phenomenal interview. I've enjoyed it a lot, learned quite a bit. How can people reach you to if they have any follow-up questions or if they want to reach out to you for some business? Sure. No, I appreciate that. Um, If any of the listeners have interest in connecting, certainly can reach out to me at uh, cody.christoph at colliers.com or you can reach me on my office line at 713-830-2162. Again, that number 713-830-2162. Happy to help anywhere I can. Uh, Although I'm locally here in Houston, I will tell you we have, like I said earlier, we have over 400 offices. So we have close relationships with our other offices. If you just want to have somebody to point you in the right direction, happy to do so as well to any of our affiliate offices. Perfect. I really Really appreciate that, Cody, and really appreciate your time here as well. Thanks again for your time and look forward to continued success and excellence. Stay safe and remember this too shall pass. All of our, as what our president Pat always says when he ends the meetings or Zoom calls. Now go wash your hands.